Welcome to Honestly Haunted. for coming back for episode two. I'm Erin. And I'm Abby. This week, we're bringing you the story of Childress, Texas, and the events that forever changed this small town. Before we begin, though, we want to make a small disclaimer. Sometimes these places we visit will have stories grounded in truth and events that actually took place. We want to be clear with our listeners about this. We want to bring this up this week especially, because this week's stories happened in the late 80s and 90s, Family members and friends of those in these stories are still very much so alive, living day to day. For that reason, we want to make it clear that we are functioning here as storytellers only. We want to respect those who are involved and their legacies. Absolutely. Additionally, when people are in situations with high tension or made to feel uncomfortable, their reactions can seem inappropriate. People react to these types of emotions differently. Some people laugh nervously, some people may make jokes. We want to reiterate once again that we are always doing our best to be respectful of the stories we choose to tell, even if and when we or others we connect with are made uncomfortable. Alright, so as we mentioned earlier, this week we are bringing you the story of Childress, Texas. In 1988, and then again in 1991, two deaths. One ruled a suicide, and the other an accident. Rocked the town in tragedy. However, things in this small town are not exactly as they seem. A blend of mismatched witness reports, faulty coroner's findings, alleged misconduct, mysterious funeral guests, and escalating rumors lead up to this town becoming a central focus of the early 90s satanic panic wave. So let's begin with the facts of these cases, shall we? Tate Rowland was known overall as a charming young man with a bit of a wild streak. In 1988, he was 18 years old with an on-again, off-again girlfriend named Karen Hackler. Tate was pretty territorial with Karen. They seemed to have that very typical young love that ultimately became obsessive and tumultuous. When they were broken up, there were stories of him harassing her, showing up at her house uninvited, stealing things from her like jewelry. This all led up to an ultimate arrest when Karen called the police and said that Tate tried to strangle her during a fight. So this was a very toxic relationship. Extremely. Tate and Karen's families both kind of took up a side against the other, both sides not wanting this relationship to continue. In a way, it set up a kind of Hatfield-McCoy rivalry between these families. But during 1988, Tate spent some time away from Childress, and when he returned, he found that Karen was married to another man. Which was obviously not going to go over well. Not at all. His friends reported that he didn't take the news very well, he drank a lot, often became depressed about Karen, and even mentioned odd things, like wanting a specific love song played at his funeral that reminded him of her. That's a really odd and specific thing to request of your friends. It really is, and this all kind of sets the scene for what happened next to Tate. On July 26, 1988, Tate was seen out and about around town hanging out with some friends, making plans with other girls for later in the day. Despite his recent emotional turmoil, today he seemed to be having a good day. He met up with a friend, Chad Johnston, who was only 15 at the time and new to town. Later that day, Chad showed up to Tate's parents' house to report that Tate had hung himself from a horse apple tree up by the high school and had killed himself. Chad brought Tate's father to the body. They pulled him down, but he was unfortunately already dead. Let's take a moment to talk about Chad. 
You mentioned he was younger than Tate and new to town, but I also think it's worth noting that things we found described him as not very well-liked around town. Tate's stepmother said that when Chad came and told them this news, he was extremely calm, he hadn't been crying, and he seemed very collected. This is extremely fishy to me. He's 15 and just witnessed one of his only friends kill himself and he's just fine? And then he goes to report it to the family calmly? Why wouldn't he go to police? That is an interesting point, and one that becomes even more interesting when we learn about what happened when Chad did actually interact with the police. So Chad's first story presented a majorly glaring issue. Chad reported that Tate said he was going to hang himself, told Chad details he wanted for his funeral, and threw the rope over the tree. Chad thought that Tate was joking and didn't think much of Tate's actions. He said he walked away into the brush to get rid of a beer can. He was gone for maybe three minutes, and when he returned, Tate was hanging from the tree, dead. The problem with this story is that it didn't match what the police found. So what did they find? Well, two rope burns were found on Tate's neck. One just above his Adam's apple, which is consistent with a hanging as Chad described. But Tate had a second rope burn just below his Adam's apple. That type of placement is characteristic of another person trying to strangle someone, and definitely not of the height or angle of hanging from a tree. So the police had to question Chad's story then. And they did. And Chad altered his story. Chad now said that Tate tried to hang himself twice. The first time, the rope broke, and Tate made Chad go with him to retrieve a second rope to try it again. When they returned, Tate stood on the hood of his car, tied the rope to the tree and his neck, then stepped off the car. Okay, this sounds even fishier than before now. So Chad said first he thought it was a joke, but now admits to seeing not one attempt, but two? Yeah, it's very odd. When the police asked Chad why his story changed, he said he was afraid he would get in trouble for not stopping Tate. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's my biggest question here. Unfortunately, though, that's where that part of the story ends. Chad said Tate was depressed and he committed suicide and the judge goes along with it. No autopsy is ordered and it's seen as an open and shut case, even though Tate's family all believed he would never commit suicide. That open and shut case doesn't stay so simple, though. Really strange things begin to happen in Childress after Tate's death, and rumors begin to infiltrate the town. At Tate's funeral, there are two really mysterious visitors. A woman dressed in black with a veil covering her face was spotted in the back of the church. She wasn't recognized by Tate's family, but she left before the end of the service and no one could confront her. During this same service, a young man who was sitting in one of the front rows started chanting the word suicide over and over again. Suicide. 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 And it didn't stop there. Following the funeral, the police department found a cow skull lodged in a tree with rocks and sticks set up as an altar, only about a quarter of a mile away where Tate's body was found. During a patrol, an officer saw a figure standing over Tate's gravesite. When he entered the cemetery later, the figure was gone, but there was spit on the headstone and a burning cross right above it. There were other strange reports that began coming into the police as well, though these later ones were unsubstantiated. These involved stories of animal sacrifices. And when school began again, rumors abounded that Tate was a part of a satanic cult and was killed because he wouldn't bring the cult a blonde-haired, blue-eyed child for a sacrifice. This is even more disturbing due to the fact that his sister, Terry, had four blonde-haired, blue-eyed children— so four family members who fit this description perfectly. 
The sheriff at the time refused to look into the case as anything more than a suicide, which also led to rumors that the sheriff might have been a part of this cult as well. Childress isn't the only town to experience these rumors, and what is now referred to as Satanic Panic. The history of this phenomenon really started with the Manson killings. Charles Manson's cult made the idea of ritualized killings more mainstream. And with that, a panic about the occult began to emerge. With the rise of media focusing on killers like Ted Bundy, massacres like Jonestown and the Zodiac Killer, there was also a rise of Christian fundamentalism, which brought with it the literal belief of angels and demons. The bottom line is that there was this growing concern that a mass group of Satanists were actually in control of the secular society, as in Satanists were secretly running things. Fearmongering brought about the ideas that the game Dungeons and Dragons and heavy metal music were recruiting children into these cults, and that many crimes and murders were all linked together as part of a larger cult and their worship. Obviously, this led to some very bad associations, and people who were a part of very normal and very not-evil groups of pagans, wiccans, even atheists, were denounced as being part of these cults. Though, this was just often not true at all. So this was happening nationwide, but it really took hold in Childress with Tate's death. To make matters worse, in 1991, just a few years later, Tate's sister Terry Trosper is found dead, and the satanic panic reaches a whole new level. Terry was not in a great place in her life. She had just gone through a divorce and lost custody of her children. She was running with a bad crowd, and her boyfriend hung out with a family that had been named multiple times with these satanic cult rumors. In reality, this family, the Wilkes family, and Terry's new boyfriend had a long list of arrests, including assault. On June 3, 1991, Terry was drinking with her boyfriend Ricky and his friend Darwin Wilkes at Darwin's home. In the morning, Ricky woke to find her body cold and stiff. She was dead. When police arrived, they determined that she had choked on her own vomit, and that was the cause of death. However, this is where things become much murkier. Many people in the town did not believe that Terry's death was accidental, and there were a lot of reasons behind this. A lot of what comes next is hearsay, and it's a bit hard to keep track of, but we'll try our best to condense it for you. Things started to come out about Terry leading up to her death. Apparently, Ricky told her that she needed to keep her daughters inside and close, otherwise she would lose them to a cult. Which brings up that rumor about Tate being asked to bring children to the cult again. Ricky also said that Terry was suicidal, but her family denied that. It also seems kind of irrelevant. You don't exactly commit suicide by choking on your own vomit. Rumors about the Wilkes family continued, with reports of them being seen in capes, messing with Ouija boards, asking townspeople to help them conjure spirits in the graveyard, and my personal favorite, sightings of seeing them loading goats into cars. <gasps> <laughs> The rumors about the sheriff started to rise again, too, due to the fact that he was also reluctant to look into Terry's death, just like how he refused to look into Tate's. Luckily for Tate and Terry and their families, that sheriff was actually arrested for marijuana, and a new sheriff came to town. This new sheriff reopened not only Terry's case, but Tate's as well. With the cases back open, it was clear that these cases had been improperly handled the first time around, and that an autopsy should have absolutely been performed on Tate. Further investigation revealed misconduct from the pathologist who performed Terry's autopsy, too. 
So three years after Tate's death, his body was exhumed, as well as his sister's. The media went crazy as a result of this, and the satanic panic rumors picked up even more steam. Clearly, people believed there was some clout to them, since bodies were being exhumed. Unfortunately, Tate's autopsy couldn't conclusively say whether Tate's death was suicide or not, given the body's decomposition at the time. However, it did reveal something big, something that would give even more steam to something sinister going on in Childress. Tate's body had trace amounts of Elevile, a drug that is described as a nerve pain medication and acts as a tranquilizer. From our own research, it's pretty clear that this is not a party drug. This is a drug meant to make you sleepy, and not one you would imagine being passed around at parties or for anyone looking for a recreational drug. Terry's body was exhumed on TV a week before Halloween, and as can be expected, this was a continued media frenzy. Her new autopsy results were announced. Yes, Terry died of asphyxiation, but it was not from her own vomit. She had contusions on her body, on her inner thigh, and bruises inside her mouth. These wounds were more conducive with being held down by one person and being smothered by another. And guess what was found in her system? Elevil. The same drug found in Tate. At that point, the entire town was convinced it was being overrun by a cult. Even more strange stories were reported. A baby goat was found with its heart cut out. A man reportedly pointed to a cat, demanded it die, and it did. Even the Baptist church in Childress held a Satanism seminar, which had over 450 people attend. In the end, nothing really came from the reopening of these cases. Witnesses wouldn't come forward, including the Wilkes, Ricky, and even Tate's ex-girlfriend, Karen. All the grand jury ended up with was more questions than they had begun with. The case went cold. That is until 1992, when the Wilkes brothers finally did come forward and revealed that Ricky told them he had killed Terry. Ricky was arrested but maintained his innocence. Even with this arrest, most people in the town were unhappy with these results and felt like there was no closure. While Ricky was on trial, the DA's house was burnt down and a white cat with its heart removed was found outside of town, further leading people to speculate that this was a much larger group of people responsible for these actions. If you feel like this is not the end of that story, like you have more questions and you want some closure, that's how we felt too. This lack of closure brings us to our visit to Childress. We don't have a ton to share with you from our visit, but we are going to share a bit of our experiences with you now. We first went to visit the graveyard where Tate and Terry are buried, and then tried to do some investigation around the town as well. I might actually be able to go straight this way because it okay. cuts through. We are currently at the Childress Cemetery where... Both Tate Rowland and Terry Trosper are buried. There's a little shed that um, lists kind of where grave markers are. And so we've looked them both up and we are headed toward them now. But these are, this is the right year. I just saw some that were 88. Well, that's confusing because 
over there. Yeah, it's just not here. It's just like a completely missing empty spot where the grave is supposed to be. I actually did it right this time too and counted like, <laughs> the row and the plot. And they were, there's like an empty spot there. Really? Yeah. Like they pulled it up. Or yeah, they moved the headstone, it looks like. Well, we learned some odd things. Um, Terry's grave is in a completely odd location surrounded by non-family members. And I'm not really certain why that, that is the case. Um, I'm not certain if her parents are still living at this time, um, but you would think they would be buried together, but instead she's on a plot of another family named Jones, and they all appear to have died before she was even born. So that is curious. And then, despite our best efforts, we've been unable to locate Tate's grave, um, even though it's clearly marked uh, in the map at the front of the cemetery. Um, but I actually followed the plot point and there's no headstone. Doesn't mean that there isn't a grave there, but the headstone has been removed and there might be a million stories for that. I mean. Yeah, the family could have chosen to move it. It could have gotten damaged. Who knows? Who knows? So, but very odd. Um, the whole circumstance surrounding the case for both of these individuals is very odd. I think we should go by the old high school. And I agree. Do a perimeter. So we just went into this cute local store in Childress and we figured we should talk to some locals and see what they know about the story, about the tale, about any of the paranoia. Um, the people that we talked to were a little bit too young. Like they, they don't high school. Age, yeah. So. so, so they definitely weren't alive when any of this happened. But, but the one of the girl's faces, as soon as we brought it up, her eyes got so big. Yeah, she, she definitely knew about about it. And you can tell that the stories still permeate because what she told us was that, well, she told us a general kind of location of the tree, which we're headed to now to see what we can find. Um, but she also told us that there's this house that the kids refer to as the witch's house. And the reason that they do is because it was Tate's girlfriend's house. And so uh, I'm sure we'll go into who she is in the podcast. Um, but that would have been the house of, it was, it was Karen, right? Karen. Karen. And um, the fact that now about... God, 30 years Almost later, 30. Yeah. Um, 30. the house that she lived in, which she did say she no longer lives in, um, but was referred to as the witch's house. I mean, that's crazy. I think that that really shows that that permeates <laughs> all of this paranoia and all of this stuff that was happening in this town to create these, these, you know, stories around these people. north of town to the high school 
mind because the girls made it sound like the property in which the tree rests on is like closed off. Um, she we'll, said, yeah. by the high school over the hill. Yeah. So this is the high school. It's West Texas, so hills actually are not that hard to find. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> because they are few and far between. I think I see the hill. Yeah, I do too. She also told us that this tree used to be, so she was talking about, was it her sister or somebody who was older than her, um, told her that she was in, this person was in high school around the time that all of this was happening, and that this location of this tree used to be a place where people, teens, would go and smoke. And so this was a place where people would hang out, um, but it's now closed off, probably as a result of some of this. Yeah. Commun small communities like this tend to, like, have a low tolerance for nonsense. So anything that you can kind of <laughs> close off to potential kiddos, it doesn't surprise me that this would be something that they would do. But I'm guessing it's... This is the dirt road. Yeah, this this would be the dirt road. It doesn't look closed off, it though. It doesn't. It looks really muddy. I don't know if it we should does. go. I don't know. But this is, I mean, this is it. This is, It's north yeah. of town between cornfields. Yeah. That's it. Uh, let's do it. Okay, we're going. Aaron, you're buying me a car wash. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh gosh. But if we get stuck, that's oh, another problem. Warning gas pipeline. Okay, but that's, that's not, not that doesn't not. say private property. Oh Aaron, I'm gonna get stuck. Oh gosh. I'm already stuck. Oh <laughs> Yeah, where this is a sign. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think we should Aaron, oh, I'm shit. I'm just spinning oh, tires. It's okay, we're going. Come on, baby. There's a car up. There's some people walking by. Maybe they can come help us. There we go. Oh, come we're on. getting there. I just gotta go up a little farther. We're so close. Oh, well, come on, baby. I'm just gonna... Yeah, I should have known better. Oh, here we go. We're getting it. Just need a little bit more traction. Before we go completely away, now that we are not stuck. Oh my god, look at that how was deep, bad. Look at how deep those tire tracks okay, are. Okay, we learned our lesson. But We're also, good. there's a shirt on that fence, like a raggedy shirt. Do you see it? That's so weird. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Well, this is definitely it, but yeah. we're not going to go back here. <laughs> we won't be able to. And I think that was a sign that... Um, There's some fishy stuff going on here, though. Like, it's all very odd and creepy. Yeah. And my car's going to be so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we found it, but... We're not going to dare. Yeah. Also, thinking about this, like, thinking about knowing this location now... We're gonna make let's make a like a Blue. a perimeter. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> There's car. so much mud <laughs> flying off of your car right now. It's fine. Um 
But what a what a creepy place for kids to go and hang out. Yeah. I'll just make a big circle. But yeah, I mean just weird. Very strange. I am just glad that we didn't have to get out and uh push your car. Yeah, that would have not made me. <laughs> <laughs> still owe me a car wash for that. Yeah, you've just been driving around with the mud of Childress on your car. <laughs> for a minute. So this week, we don't have a typical haunting. We don't have a specific entity or a singular haunted location. But what we found, we think is even more interesting. The reason so many people are interested in the paranormal and the stories and tales of hauntings comes down to the way our society is shaped. How people receive information, how people interact with their neighbors, process grief, process fear. Childress is still affected by these events today. It has permeated the town and literally shaped the stories that young people there are brought up with. You can't go to Childress without feeling its effect. So despite being a bit out of the norm, our verdict is... Honestly, honestly haunted. Haunted. Thank you for coming back for episode two. Remember that if you like what we're doing, you can give us ratings on Apple Podcasts, you can like us on Facebook, and be sure to keep listening on your favorite podcast app. We'll be back in two weeks for more Honestly Haunted. <laughs>